We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You don't want it. You don't need it. But you're going to get it anyway. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Here's Kevin. The show is always presented by Window Nation. Call them at 866-90-NATION or go to windownation.com. They'll take excellent care of you. Great deal going on right now. For every two windows you purchase, you get two free with no limit. Plus, if you want to finance the purchase, five years interest-free. 866-90-NATION or windownation.com. Jay Gruden coming up on the show as he is uh, with me uh, here on the show every Friday. The smell test at the end of the show, 10 picks this week, including one of the 10 being from the Washington Giant game on Sunday. Ron Rivera, uh, just a little while ago in his get-together on Fridays with the reporters on the beat, was asked about his future here, and he said, quote, shit, I've been through enough. The last three years have not been easy. It's been a lot. Is the culture better, and have we found a quarterback? That's all I can control, closed quote. That's it. That's all you can control. It's all about the quarterback now, all about the culture and the quarterback. I mean, Jesus, God, this guy, he barely even knew that this quarterback was on his roster last year. Oh, it's something else, man. Uh, Look, the three years, understood, not been easy. Uh, You come in to work for Dan Snyder, it's never going to be easy. And as we've talked about a lot, it was much worse than even he could have anticipated uh, when he got here. But um, this leaning on the shoulders, broad shoulders right now, very broad shoulders, of his young quarterback uh, is kind of humorous uh, to those that have been following the Ronnie's uh, discussions of the last few years. I love Ronnie's. Thank you, Al Galdi. Uh, All right, so um, some breaking news here this afternoon. Joe Burrow done for the year. Torn ligament in his wrist. He is having surgery, and he is out. And so is Cincinnati, right? I mean, Jake Browning last night, I hate to – to, to totally write him off because I did that with Joshua Dobbs at the beginning of the year when he was Arizona's quarterback. But uh, Cincinnati, one of the preseason favorites to win the Super Bowl, certainly a top four or five favorite, along with Buffalo, by the way. Both of those teams are five and five and trending downward. But Cincinnati now really trending uh, downward uh, with the loss of Burrow. The crazy thing about the loss of Burrow 
is that Cincinnati, I believe, knew he was hurt and they did not include him on the injury report prior to last night's game. They are being they are being investigated for that. Their own social media, their own Twitter account put out a video of Joe Burrow getting off the team bus Friday night uh, in Baltimore. Uh, Not Friday night, Wednesday night in Baltimore. Uh, Today is Friday. Last night was Thursday night. Wednesday night in Baltimore with either a brace or a soft cast on his wrist, hand, that part of his uh, lower arm. And they did not include him on the injury report. That's a no-no in today's NFL with legalized sports betting, et cetera. They're going to get fined, I think, if the investigation proves that they knew something. Zach Taylor, the head coach, says, didn't know anything. Uh, You're going to tell me that you didn't notice that there was something on your quarterback's right hand, throwing hand? Uh, By the way, they immediately took that down from social media, which is a a bit of an indictment uh, on, on its own. Um, I'm a little bit upset because I did bet Cincinnati last night. Did not give them out as a smell test pick. I bet them plus the points last night. They were up 10-7. to 7. You could tell he was a little bit off with accuracy, and then on the touchdown throw to Mixon that gave him a 10-7 to 7 lead, that was it. Uh, he was done for. And, uh, yeah, uh, if you knew Joe Burrow was hampered heading into the game, would you have bet it? Would the line have changed? Uh, you can't let that happen in today's market. You know, just too many people betting on these games. And Cincinnati, it would appear, it would appear, hid the fact that Joe Burrow uh, had some issues. Um, anyway, all right. Uh, that game last night, by the way, just a crap game. The injuries to Burrow, to Mark Andrews, devastating injury for Baltimore. Lamar Jackson. Uh, was injured in the game, kept playing. The penalties in that game, I think there were 18 called penalties, 23 flags thrown. Thursday night football's terrible. I mean, we've had one legitimately good game, and that was the opener, Detroit and Kansas City. I I guess Jacksonville, New Orleans was pretty entertaining. Um, But, yeah, the games have been crap for the most part. They're going to continue to be that. These teams are not ready to play four days after their last game. Uh, We'll see if the Thanksgiving Day games produce drama. Maybe they will. I don't know. There's something about the Thanksgiving Day games that seem different than the regular Thursday night games. Uh, But it's not going to change. Amazon's paying a billion dollars a year for the rights to those games. So... We've had them for years. We'll continue to have them. But I thought last night's game, because it was highly anticipated, uh, was just a a really shoddy game that just had too many flags, too many injuries, and it was not good football. The Ravens moved to seven and three on this season. And, you know, for all intents and purposes now, Cincinnati is done. Baltimore actually is eight and three. What am I saying? They're eight and three. They were seven and three going in, eight and three now. Uh, and they're really good, but the loss of Mark Andrews is going to hurt. You know, I look at that AFC right now and I see two things I see Kansas City will eventually be there, and if they end up getting home field advantage and we don't see them in a road playoff game again, that'll, that that would be a shame. But if they're home at Arrowhead, they're going to be the favorites to get back to the Super Bowl. Uh, and I also see now in the AFC a chance to get in with a very mediocre record. There was a time there for a few weeks where the AFC looked like 
hey, if you don't win 10 games, you don't have a chance to make the postseason. Now with Buffalo at 5-5 five and five and Cincinnati at 5-5, five and five, um, somebody at 9-8 and is getting in. You know, and they're gonna they're gonna be some teams involved in the AFC playoff chase, like Indianapolis and Houston, and who knows, like, like the Chargers at four and five getting back into it. Um, yeah, uh, it's the NFL. Just wait a few weeks, and injuries really, really change the outlook uh, on a season. And we've now had Aaron Rodgers go down, Joe Burrow go down, Deshaun Watson go down, Kirk Cousins go down. Uh, and that can really change the outlook for teams and divisions and playoff races. That's why I'm sure there are people out in Ashburn that are saying, you know, a lot of people saying, you know, this isn't just about culture and the development of a quarterback. It's about winning. You know, when does winning come into the conversation uh, when you're in your fourth season? But you win on Sunday, and who knows? Maybe Dak goes down against the Panthers. And now all of a sudden the Cowboys look less than uh, you know uh, less than than superimposing. Jalen Hurts has all season looked injured to a certain degree. Uh, you just never know in the NFL. The NFC Championship game last year was decided, for all intents and purposes, by an injury. At least the margin in the game uh, was determined by an injury. Uh, anyway. Um, All right, let's get to Washington and New York. I'll give you my keys to a win, and I'll give you a final score prediction coming up here in a moment. But I wanted to mention that yesterday I watched the Giant-Cowboy game, condensed version, not the all-22, the 45-46 minute version. And when the score got out of hand, it's not like I was so intent on watching the end of the game. But why did I go back and watch it? Well, I, for one reason, Tommy DeVito, the quarterback of the Giants. Why did I do that? Because I had a guest on radio yesterday from New York. He does a podcast covering the Giants. And he said that, you know, it's been really rough, but one of the things with DeVito, as you can see, he's got a big, big arm. And I thought, hmm. I didn't know that. I just kind of pictured him with all of the mocking of DeVito and his QBR and his minus one yard passing when he came in against the Jets when Tyrod Taylor got hurt. His uh, poor game against the Cowboys, he threw for 86 yards. The story about him still living at home with his parents in New Jersey. Who cares? Um, I just kind of pictured, you know, an undrafted free agent, noodle armed, small running around, not very good. I do remember Tommy DeVito. I remember him being the quarterback at Illinois last year, playing for Brett Bielma's uh, Fighting Illini team. But that was a running team with good defense. But I I, I wanted to go back. I, I didn't even know what jersey number he was wearing. I haven't seen any of these giant games here recently. So I went back and watched it. So let me just first say that I'm not about to deliver here a warning about how great Tommy DeVito and the Giants are. It's not what I'm going to do, which I did do, if you recall, prior to the Bears game. It was a Thursday night game. Tommy and I were doing the show on Thursday, and I said, if you haven't watched the Bears, just understand they are very capable offensively, and they just played the best offensive game all year, which was the Denver game before they played Washington. And I mentioned Justin Fields and Cole Komet and DJ Moore and their running backs, and I was concerned 
going into that game about what the Bears could do offensively against Washington's defense. Uh, and I did give a, a, a warning on that. That's not what I'm doing here. What I will say, though, is that my guest on radio was right. Tommy DeVito's got an arm. He can make every throw. He's mobile. He looks like an NFL quarterback, like physically. He's 6'2", 215, something like that. Um, he wears number 15. Uh, that was Jeff Hostetler's number. Jeff Hostetler, I'm assuming that was the last quarterback for the Giants to wear number 15. I could be wrong. Not a giant guy, um, but I'm an NFC East guy. Has has there been a giant quarterback that's worn number 15 uh, with great success since Jeff Hostetler? I don't think so. Maybe. Hostetler led him to the Super Bowl in 1990 when Phil Simms got hurt. He can throw the ball. And here's the one, you know, far-fetched, concern that I have. And it's it's a perfect segue into my keys to beating the Giants. If they were to get a running game going with Saquon Barkley, play action, bootlegs, this guy would be able to make some throws. And you could tell he can make some throws on the move too. I know what he was statistically in the game. He was terrible. He was 14 of 27 for 86 yards, two touchdowns, one pick, got sacked five times, had an 18.0 QBR. Terrible. But I'm just saying that he's not noodle arm, tiny, running around like an undrafted free agent that was never going to see the field without two injuries. Uh, He looked capable of throwing the football like an NFL quarterback. And so let me get to my keys to beating the Giants on Sunday, in which I would you know, call this a should-win game. I haven't mentioned that in years. This uh, you know, is a game they should win. I'm more concerned uh, about this game than probably you are, but it is still a game they should win uh, because the Giants are 2-8 and eight and – They have a shell of the team that they anticipated putting out there at the beginning of the year. And that was the case when Washington played them a month ago. But at least they had, you know, Darren Waller on the field. They had a guy in in Tyrod Taylor who was a veteran quarterback who had seen a lot. So, number one, Washington beats the Giants if they stop the run. I think this is a game where if they can stop Saquon Barkley and the Giant rushing attack – then Tommy DeVito's arm and mobility and capability, whatever level that is, uh, you know, it's NFL backup level arm, certainly. Um, I don't know, maybe it's more than that. But beyond that, I just can't see them being successful, you know, if they stop the run and they're in second and third and long. Although the defense they're facing is not the Dallas defense from last week. But stop Saquon Barkley Don't let them get into a balanced attack because they're going to try to run the football to protect this quarterback from an offensive line that's pretty pitiful. All right, no Evan Neal, maybe no Andrew Thomas again this week. He got hurt after he came back last week in the game. Stop the run, and all should be well. This should be a good defensive day, I think. Uh, But that is 100% uh, important because I can envision – Oh, my God, there goes Barkley for four yards. There goes Barkley for seven. And now here comes a play action, 
and their one receiver with really solid speed, Jalen Hyatt, the rookie from Tennessee, who beat him for a big play in the first game, all of a sudden he's got you know a step on Kendall Fuller or Benjamin St. Juice or Emmanuel Forbes, and it's a big play. Or you get a you know all of a sudden you get the defense going one way and he's coming back on the bootleg and he's throwing to that tight end Daniel Bellinger or Matt Breda out of the backfield for 12 yards. Just stop the run, and defensively you should walk out of this one with one of your better days in a while. Number two, uh, same thing offensively that we've seen for three weeks, which started after the Giant game, after the Giant first half, really, when they were completely embarrassed, throttled, and they came back and they went to quick game after he had been sacked you know, five times, six times total, four or five of them in the first half with zero points. They still only scored seven against the Giants and they needed a muffed punt, you know, uh, a fumbled punt to, to, to set up a super short field to get that done. But I think if we see what we've seen from Eric Bieniemy and Sam Howell in this offense over the last three games against Philly, New England, and Seattle, I think they're going to be able to move the football and be super productive. You know, lots of quick game, lots of three-step, lots of screens, lots of, you know, Let's just see a lot of that stuff that forces him to get the ball out in a hurry because the Giants do have defensive talent. I mean, Dexter Lawrence pretty much wrecked the first game. Leonard Williams is gone. O'Karakee, the linebacker, and McFadden, the linebacker, both of those backers are pretty good. Uh, So just offensively, keep doing what you've been doing. I think that that is 100% the right answer against this opponent. And they didn't get to it until the second half last time, and it was too late. Lastly, and this is sort of the cliche key to a game for basically 28 teams in the league, um, and that is you can't give the Giants free points. You can't give them free possessions. You can't give them free field position. You can't give them free hope. I expect the Giants to come in ready to play. They got throttled last week. The week before that, they got blown out by the Raiders, 30-6. to They have a, a recent memory that would be a confidence builder going into this game, beating Washington the first go-round. You know, Washington in that game won the turnover battle. Uh, so it's not just about turnovers here, although that's a big part of it. They won the turnover battle, but they were 1-for-15 on third down. They got sacked six times, and they had double-digit penalties. All of that self-destructive stuff can't happen. So stop the run, play offense the way you've been playing it the last three weeks with quick game, with confidence builders for Sam, rhythm starters for Sam, and don't give the Giants any hope. You know, get off to a quick start. They got off to a quick start against Philadelphia, 14-3 they led. They led 10-0 against New England. They led last week against Seattle. Bury them early. Final score prediction, 23-17 Washington. Maybe a backdoor cover late. I think there's a reason that the line keeps coming down and sharp money is on New York. All right, Jay Gruden coming up um, next. Oh, one quick note. Uh, I wanted to just mention real quickly because I saw this right before I started recording the podcast today, and that is that Antonio Gibson is doubtful for the game. James Smith-Williams is out. The fullback, Alex Arma, is out. Antonio Gibson doubtful with the toe injury. That means we're going to see Chris Rodriguez. We have not seen him carry the ball since the last Giant game where he got seven carries for 31 yards, and I came in here on that Monday and said, 
They've loved him since they drafted him. Now we've seen the move to Chris Rodriguez over Antonio Gibson. And we haven't seen him since, so I was dead wrong on that. Uh, And this Sunday we will probably see some Chris Rodriguez in the game. And then if Gibson is completely out, maybe Derek Gore or Jonathan Williams would be called up from the practice squad. We'll see. All right, uh, up next, Jay Gruden, right after these words from a few of our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Less than a week from Thanksgiving and Due South and Navy Yard wants to help out. How does apple cider, brine smoked turkey, cornbread stuffing, shallot and thyme gravy sound? Well, Due South and Navy Yard wants to make your holiday way easier. Their home-cooked dinner packages can serve 2 to 200 and will serve as a delicious, easy, and crowd-pleasing option for your big day. So if you don't feel like cooking this year, give Due South a shot. Check out their menu and learn more at DueSouthDC.com. All right, jumping on with us as he does every week is Jay Gruden uh, here on a Friday uh, before a holiday week and a lot of football coming up next week. Did you like playing on Thanksgiving or not? I didn't mind Thanksgiving. It was kind of a cool thing to do. I'd rather be home eating turkey with your family, but uh, I think it's just such a a historic-type time to play. Everybody's watching your game. I thought it was kind of cool to play on Thanksgiving. I'm just trying to think. Um... One game in Dallas while you were here? The, uh, we played in Dallas once, I think. And then you had Maybe the giant twice. game at home. Yeah, yeah, yep. Yeah, on that Thanksgiving night. Um, all right, uh, so I want to start with, is there any possible way that the Giants could come in here Sunday and beat Washington with Tommy DeVito at quarterback? I, I got to say no. There's no way, right? I mean, but but I guess when you put the ball on the tee and you kick it off, you never know what's going to happen in a pro football game with some penalties and turnovers and just crazy things happen. But 
I just got to think that Washington's a much better team, top to bottom, and there's no way unless they just drop the ball, turn the ball over four or five times. I mean, this is what we thought going into the last one. I mean, we had this conversation. I actually, I actually, yeah. I actually had the Giants um, plus the points in that one. I'm hesitant to take them this time, although I just wonder if there's any kind of, and you can explain this better than I, when you get your ass kicked 49 to 17, what's that next week like? And no matter how bad of a team you are, aren't they a dangerous team the following week or not? 100%. Yes. People, these football players have a lot of pride now, and they take this game very seriously and what they put on tape and how they play. The issue is, is if Washington can jump out early, then the frame of mind goes, oh, here we go again, and then, then you got them, and then it's a wrap. But if, if the Giants can play uh, good early and feel like they have a chance to win, then, yes, they can uh, they can maybe pull it out. But, yeah, it's a it's a tough deal. Football players have a lot of pride, and, and be careful about the teams that get blown out one week because they usually come out and play well the next week. All right, what did you think of last week? Let's just start with Sam. I think Sam's playing great football, man. I really do. I, I, I think that the, the way he's making plays that are off schedule are critical for any quarterback. The decisions he's making when he gets outside the pocket um, are, are outstanding. He's playing within the offense. He's checking the ball down. He's accurate. He's on time. He anticipates well, and he moves extremely well. He's you know He, he took four or five sacks again last week, but I mean that, that's going to happen when you throw the ball 50 times. Uh, but I just like the way he's playing. I think he's a tough guy, and I think the team's really rallying around him, and, and he's making the people around him better, and that's what a quarterback has to do. Do you practice off schedule? It's still hard to do. You know, you, you try to. You, I mean, you blow a horn in seven-on-seven. Seven, okay, plaster drill. It's really good for your defense because they have to maintain their um, rules and their zone rules and, and try to match with people if they're man and stay with people if they're man and zone. they got to make sure they stay within their zone. and It's good for defense. Offense, it's really good for them because – when a quarterback aborts mission and the timing of the route gets messed up, now you just have to go find the quarterback. If you're running away from the quarterback, you come to him. If the quarterback comes to you, you run away from him. So it's good for everybody in that drill, but it's it's hard to actually practice when it's going to happen. You never know when it's going to happen, but it's good to let everybody know that this is a huge part of football nowadays, and you have to be prepared for it somehow. Part of, I would guess, being good off schedule is just having really good vision. Like I always kind of equate it to in basketball, sort of being able to see peripherally, you know, everything like a point, a really good point guard does. Like to me, RG3 had that straight line track straight ahead vision. He didn't see and feel it like Sam does. Is that something when you look at a quarterback you're looking for, like scouting-wise? You know, you're looking for a guy with incredible feel and, and vision in the pocket and outside of it. Yes, yes, for sure. I mean, because this day and age, you know you can't protect forever. And, you know, all the stunts and all the blitzes that you see the quarter, and, and the coverages that you see, you know, you're going to call a pass play that is going to be blanketed by the defense eventually. So you need your quarterback to either throw it away or move around and, and make people get open somehow. So, yeah, for sure. Um, you know, the quarterbacks that can do it, obviously you watch Caleb Williams, and that's what he is really good at. That's why everybody's so attracted to him, even though he played terrible against Notre Dame. You watch him when he gets outside the pocket, his ability is just to look 
and he has like uh, the greatest peripheral vision I've seen, and he can just rip it from any body angle there is. That's similar to what Patrick Mahomes did at Texas Tech. If you remember, he was yeah. he was like that. He could just throw it from one side of the field to the other side of the field effortlessly and see. So yeah, it's a it's a it's a great thing to have for a quarterback, and it's very hard to coach. Um, do, do you agree? I should have asked you. Do you agree with me on on RG three that he didn't have that? That's not that was something that was kind of missing. He was more kind of straight line. Yes, for a athletic quarterback, uh, yes, he was not very gifted in the uh, off schedule fine receivers down the field. He was more of a straight line guy, and if he's in your vision, he'll get it to you. I mean, he was good at that, but if not, yes, you're a hundred percent correct. Yeah, I mean, because athletically in terms of speed, I mean, once he got free and once there was daylight, it's not like anybody was going to catch him. It was finding the daylight that sometimes I think was hard for him. You know, by the way, just talking about Mahomes, I know we've talked about the 2017 draft many times. You know, John kind of falling to you guys and and taking John. But um, with all the discussion that we've had over the years about the potential, you know, number two overall pick that the 49ers offered, and you said it was even more than that first-round pick, if you had had the number two pick in that draft, which was – the Patrick Mahomes draft. He was the second quarterback taken. Trubisky was the first. I mean, did you know, did you guys as a as an organization, I know that the, the, the trade for Alex Smith happened early. It happened at the end of January, so you weren't into scouting a lot of those quarterbacks. But did anybody in the organization have any sense about Patrick Mahomes? Not to this extent. Nobody did. And they'd be lying if they said they did. I, I did a little bit of work on him. I knew we weren't taking a quarterback, so I didn't do the. I didn't get a chance to interview him and meet him and talk to him and all that stuff, which is critical if you're drafting a quarterback or if you think he's going to be good. You have to bring him in your building and and talk to him for a, a lengthy amount of time somehow. But anyway, uh, but but his, his tape was really unique in the fact that he was like Brett Favre. His great plays were unbelievable, but he had some plays that were so bad. I mean, I, I remember watching him. He had. He threw five touchdowns and five interceptions, and he should have thrown ten interceptions in one game. I, mean, I was like, what in the world is this guy doing? But those five touchdowns were so beautiful. You're like, oh, my God. <laughs> but that's the type of guy that you really are rolling the dice on taking. But you have to meet him. And I think once you meet him and you see the 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 how smart he is and, and you know what type of leader he is and all that stuff, that's what puts him over the top. This is a guy we want to have in our building because, you know, he's – his athletic ability, his ability to make plays is, is second to none. We'll take a chance on his poor decisions. We'll get him off of those, and and, and he'll be fine. Um, yeah, by the way, it was the uh, next year that you guys uh, had Alex Smith. That was the final Kirk year. Um, and, and actually, you know, even though – uh, you didn't have um, the number two overall pick. You had a real need for defense entering that draft anyway. Uh, that was the emphasis yeah, we, for that We draft. were going defense 100%. At least. Yeah. No <laughs> I mean, I'm just wondering, like, if you had ended up without Kirk, you would have been in need. If you had traded Kirk, you would have been in need of, of a quarterback, although my sense from afar is that you would have rolled out there with Colt McCoy. Yes, but if we made the decision to get rid of Kirk, no, we would have definitely been in the market for a quarterback for sure. If uh, we made that decision, if we didn't have if we didn't have uh, Alex and we made the decision to trade Kirk, we would have definitely been 
quarterback first pick. Right. And that, again, just to clear it up, because I, I, I whiffed on that, is that the, the next year was the year that you guys traded for uh, Alex Smith after Kirk um, was gone. Yeah. Um, and uh, the 2017 draft was the John Allen draft and the Mitch Trubisky draft, which was um, uh, Chicago uh, at number two overall. After trading up one spot with the 49ers, who didn't want a quarterback? That one still, to me, is a confusing one. That also is the draft, Jay, in which Cleveland took Miles Garrett number one overall. Is there a better... Is there a better defensive player in the league right now than Miles Garrett? And then two, do you think he deserves some attention for MVP of the league? He deserves some, yes, but I think TJ Watt's a better player on defense. Really? I'd rather have TJ than Miles. Why? Yeah, yeah. Miles is a better pass rusher. There's there's I mean, he's got much more athleticism and natural pass rush ability, but I think TJ Watt's a better defender. Okay. If that, if that makes sense. Yeah. Against the run and everything else that you have to play. Uh, yeah. So, I, I mean, they're both great players. It's like taking Tom Brady or Peyton Manning, who really gives a damn. You're going to be fine. Uh, but, yeah, I, I think uh, he definitely should be in consideration because he changes the game. And defensive players that have that impact on quarterbacks and, and, and the ability to get to the quarterback is a huge advantage. That's kind of why I was surprised that Washington let two of them go at the same time because it's hard to find those type of players that have an impact on the game like that third downs red zone i mean it's when you're ahead it's such a huge thing to have such a huge advantage to have when you have a great pass rusher like miles or tj um by the way do you give cleveland any chance of hanging in there with dorian thompson robinson and pj walker quarterback to make a playoff run i did like dtr out of college but i i just it's going to be very hard. I mean, you got to play really. They have a great defense, but it's how long can you hold up? And they have a good running game, so they have a chance. Yes, I'll give them a chance because they play great defense and they can run the ball. And DTR can get outside the pocket, and make some plays with legs. If they get behind and have to come back, then they have no chance at all. But if they stay ahead of the chains and obviously they stay within a touchdown, get to get to the fourth quarter, then sure, they'll have a chance. We'll get back to Washington here in a moment. But last night, um, the Baltimore win over Cincinnati, uh, Mark Andrews went out on a tackle that, you know, is referred to as a hip drop tackle. Um, and uh, J- I, I, John Harbaugh didn't like it at all. He said, what, what was the point of tackling that way? You say what to that? I just think they're running out of ways to tackle. I don't think it was a dirty tackle. I don't think their intent was to break the guy's ankle. The intent was to get him down on the grass. And when you're playing at full speed all the time, you have to figure out ways to get guys on the ground. You go too low, it's a penalty. You go too high, it's a penalty. Now a hip drop is a penalty. The horse collar is a penalty. I don't know if people really understand how hard it is to tackle a grown man when he's running <laughs> towards the end zone right. and you're coming from the side. I, I don't know what you want him to do. So I, I just... Just be careful. I don't. Obviously, it looked bad. It looked like it was intentional, but it wasn't. And it's very hard to tackle a six foot five guy that weighs two hundred fifty five pounds like Mark Andrews and get him on the ground uh, from that angle. So I, I just just be careful, everybody, about another rule, another penalty. That's the last thing we want is another yellow flag in a critical situation. That's a hip drop tackle, fifteen yards, first down. They can't. I, I was thinking about it that way too. It's like at some point. You know, you're going to be afraid to tackle because it's going to be almost even money that a flag's coming out. That play to me cannot be legislated through some kind of rule. 
that's not a dirty yeah, but- that's not a dirty play um, where you're you know you're not protecting uh, you know the, uh, the concussion uh, issue for sure um, with that kind of tackle. Yeah, I, it seems. Well, to think about it. If you're if you're 230 pounds and you're trying to tackle guys 255 or 60 pounds and you're coming at that angle, how do you get them down? You have to try something. You know, it's not intentional. You got to get them on the grass. Yeah. Otherwise, you're going to be on the ESPN highlights, getting your helmet stiff armed and their head stiff armed into the ground, and everybody's going to let, make fun of you. What What do you now that now that you're into the media world, and by the way, the wagering world and and prognostication world? Um, by the way, you pushed your uh, lock of the week uh, on this. No, show. it was two and a half. No, it was three on Friday. I went back and listened to it because I actually thought for a oh, moment oh, that, that it may have been two and a half because I wanted yeah, to give two and a half. I wanted I wanted to give you the win because I think it would have moved your record on this show to like six and two. Um, but it was uh, it, it was clear uh, as as I listened to it that we we gave it out at minus three. Look, it's a good thing it wasn't three and a half. Um, and you'll take the push over a loss any day of the week. I did not. I did see some two and a halves out there on Detroit last week, but mostly threes when the game kicked off. But back to last uh, the game night. Kicked off at two and a half. I'm sure of it. But anyway, go ahead. <laughs> well, not on Friday. We do the Friday line. What about Joe Burrow's injury last night? He was clearly with that video that surfaced with some sort of, you know, brace on his arm or his wrist. There was no reporting of the injury. That's a big deal by the way last night for gamblers. And I talked about this in the in the open of the show. Um, Cincinnati could get in some big trouble for not reporting whatever it was that Joe Burrow was dealing with. Yeah, that was really unique because he didn't really get hit. This is something that he obviously had coming into the game. And I don't know what the heck would they end up reporting. Was it his wrist or thumb? What it, was? I don't it, even it, know. It was. Just, it was a wrist. It's a wrist injury. And now you know there's an MRI yeah, he, scheduled he for today. Had that. Very similar to his calf. You know, in, in training camp, I saw him in training camp. He was wearing something on his leg, and um, and then he pulled his calf. I'm like, oh my gosh, he pulled his calf. No, he already had a calf injury, and they just re-aggravated it. This is a re-aggravation to an injury he already had, so that should have definitely been reported. But if he plays, I don't think it would have really had an impact on um, the Betty people because if you know the quarterback starts, it shouldn't have an impact. But well, if he if there's clearly a, he had if, something going. Yeah, if there's an injury and he is you know questionable uh, going into the game, limited during the week, you've got to report that when it's a quarterback. It absolutely impacts the way people think about wagering on the game, even if he ends up being scheduled to start uh, the game. Um, not to mention, it could have impacted the point spread a little bit as well. Uh, did, did you were you sensitive to the whole keeping as much? Um, in-house with respect to injuries as the rules would allow? Did you ever, you know, mess with that a little yeah, bit or not? Yeah, I tried to be. You know, I think, uh, you know, Bill Belichick made that thing the most popular. He just put everybody questionable so nobody would knew uh, what your hand, what hand you're dealing with, you know, because, yeah. you know, questionable means it's like 50-50 and you can argue the fact that if the guy's going to be out, there's a chance he could play. Questionable, questionable, questionable. So we erred on the side of taking that route, putting people questionable but i didn't really buy into that whole thing if somebody's hurt and they're not going to play i mean let's put them out i mean i'm not trying to gain an advantage based on a player lying to the public and lying to everybody saying he's going to play or not going to play because you have reporters at your practice and people talk and you don't want to get caught in that 
Yeah. Um, and, uh, you, know, you know, the NFL is looking to find you for something all the time anyway, so you just try to try to piece, try to try to play by the rules as much as you can. Did you ever give a crap about what the media or fans thought in any of your decision making? No, I didn't personally. You know, you try to be aware of what people were saying. So when you went to the podium and answered questions, you kind of had a, you know, you could preview it in your mind, the questions and what you had to answer, but uh, not really because the media and the fans really don't understand what um, goes on in the building, you know, every day in practice, every day in the meetings, how people uh, are handling things and, and what they're like on your roster. So, you know, they, they see what they see on game day, and, and sometimes they don't understand or realize if that player is good or bad or good for your team or bad for your team. They just see what they see and don't understand the whole picture. Right. All right. Um, a <clears throat> couple more on Washington, then we'll get your uh, pick and your lock of the week um, and wrap it up. So uh, back to Sam for a moment, because it was only two weeks ago on the show you and I were talking, and – you know, it was uh, still, a, it was the week after the Giant game, actually. So that's whatever, however many weeks ago that was now, three weeks ago, I guess. And you were definitely concerned about whether or not he was a long-term viable starter in the league. Now he's put together clearly the three best games um, for him, certainly in a row, some consistent, let's see, the last three weeks. Do you see a full-time NFL starter, and then at what level in the league? I do. I do. I think, uh, you know, he's played well against good defenses, too. He's played great against Philadelphia twice, right? He went to Seattle and played extremely well. These are not easy teams or places to play at. Um, the, the the progress that he's made, the decision-making that he displays, his arm strength is fine. His accuracy is uh, It's not over the top great, but it's good enough and he can run and he's athletic. So yes, I think he definitely is a quarterback in this league. I think he's definitely a chance to be a top 10 quarterback in this league, really with the things that he's doing. You know, if he gets some help around him, a better defense and, and maybe a little stronger running game, then for sure he can make all the throws and he's athletic and, and he's a tough guy. And he obviously, the obviously the most important thing is he seems to make the people around him better and the people around him believe in him. That's, that's the biggest sell is is that I think that if you talk to any player on the football team, is this guy your guy? They'll all say yes, and that's a huge thing to have in your corner as a starting quarterback in this league. So big. I mean, from uh, you know, from the outside looking in, but you know, being here and being a part of talking about this team for a long period of time, it seems yeah. like there have been too many times you know, at the most important position on the field, some other positions as well, that people have, that that the intangibles weren't necessarily there and that there were big question marks about the overall, you know, profile beyond football. I mean, you you had, you know, you, you dealt with some of that with the quarterbacks here. And, I mean, they, they got yeah, it. They got, yeah, go ahead. You can't have half your team wanting this guy and the other half wanting that guy. You know, so when you walk into the building, hey, who's our starting quarterback? The entire building points to Sam. That is, that is a huge uh, check mark for Sam Howell being the future of this franchise, and, and I think he is. I really do.
Not to mention having to deal with ownership who prefers one quarterback over the over over the coach's <laughs> preference as well. I'm sure that was a lot of fun. Um, do you, if you were the head coach right now with Eric Bieniemy as your offensive coordinator, even though you're an offensive head coach, but let's just say you know he had the kind of responsibility under you that he has under Ron, would you be pushing for um, a less uh, severe pass to run ratio? No, no, no. Uh, based on the people that they have on their team, no. I think it, I think they have to start with the pass. I think the pass has to open up the run. I don't think they're built offensively to be a run-first team. I don't think they have the tight ends. I don't think the line is built to move people. Um, they're not. I don't know. It's just hard to explain. I think the quick game, the screens outside, I think are more beneficial than trying to hand the ball off between the tackles on first and second down and putting Sam in the third and eight. Uh, I think I, I I think there's more success rate throwing the ball in quick game than handing the ball off between the tackles, in my opinion. Now they obviously want to run the ball a little bit more than they are, but I would not push and say, Eric, you got to run the ball more, man. I think they're playing pretty good right now, and their success rate throwing the football is better than handing the ball off. Well, the problem the problem with this team clearly this year, and it's a big disappointment, has been the defense. So you know everybody yeah, talks sure. about the big plays allowed, the big chunk plays, the big explosives. That's been the number one issue defensively. I think we can all agree on that. From a coaching perspective, why is it happening over and over again? Well, there's a lot of reasons why it happens. Big plays happen because a uh, you're out of position, your techniques are bad, and your pursuit angles are bad, and your effort is bad. Uh, you have to make sure everybody's flying to the football on every single play. That that check down that they threw to uh, Kenneth Walker, the third or second or fourth or whatever third. his last name is, uh, <laughs> was ridiculous. You had three missed tackles, and you had poor pursuit by the backside safety in the backside corner. They weren't running to the ball. That should have been a worst-case scenario if they if he makes those guys miss a 25-yard game, not a 60-yard game. So it all starts with how we're pursuing to the football, the effort that we give on every single play, and your pursuit angles, and you got to be good tacklers. And right now they're not good tackling football team. They pursue poorly, and they their effort was poor on that play. It's not on every play. Sometimes they play hard and they play good, but it has to be a consistent full-bore effort on every single play when you're a defensive football team. Uh, Coverage-wise... And I had Smoot on with me yesterday, and we were talking about this. Like, I don't think their corners are terrible when I watch them. Like, Fuller, I don't think, is terrible. And I'm actually kind of a fan of Benjamin St. Juice, and apparently I shouldn't be because he's been targeted the third most times of any corner in the league. What do you think of St. Juice and Fuller when you watch them? You know, we, we, we drafted Kendall, and, yeah. and I like Kendall. I like I liked Kendall more as a nickel, personally, than an outside corner. But he could play outside. That's why we liked him, because he was, he was versatile, and he could do a lot of different things. And uh, he's smart as hell. He, he's a great kid, too. Uh, but, yeah, I, I think they need to get a better corner in there, um, one of them. I just, you know, St. Juice is a bigger guy. He just He's not really fluid. He seems like he's kind of stiff kind of guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I would, if I was an offensive coordinator, I would go after St. Juice every single chance I got, and then obviously that's what teams are doing. And if it's not him, then it's the rookie. Then sure, let's go after him too. So, um, so Jack Del Rio is probably more playing more 
shelf-type coverages where he has a lot of help, and their shelf coverages aren't very good either. So, you know, he's kind of got his hands tied a little bit, too, with the personnel that they have. Why do you think Payne and Allen aren't having, you know, sort of the banner years that they've had, you know, here recently? That's a great question. I, I don't know. I think uh, early in the year I thought that this defense should have been a top-five defense in the league with the personnel with Chase Young and Montez and Jonathan and Payne. I mean, I, I, that's a, you can't get much more talent on your front four than they had. And, and for whatever reason, I don't know. I, I can't figure it out. I know that uh, they're still making some plays, but they're not dominated in the game like they should be, in my opinion. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't know. Maybe it's the edge players aren't getting there. You know, the whole thing about inside players is you got to have your edge players forcing the quarterback to step up, and that's when the inside players start to make plays. Right. And, and, and you know, because you can, you know, you usually typically have a double on one of those two guys. You know, the center is going to slide to one of them if you have a four-man rush, and then the other one's got to get home. And, and the one that's getting singled isn't dominating like he should be. Would you have lost your mind on the Forbes ejection? Oh, yeah, yeah, that's a terrible call, yeah. That's my point, again, is, I mean, he he's trying to make a football play and get the ball out, and it just happened to be a bang-bang. Both guys put their heads down at the same time, and it happened. I agree with the 15-yard penalty, but the ejection, there's no way. There's no intent there to go helmet to helmet. All right. Um, this week we have the game of the year on Monday night, uh, which is the rematch of the Super Bowl. Philly at KC. You said something earlier about Sam and the last three teams. I, I, I'm not sure the Eagles are a really good defensive team. I, I, I'm not, especially in the secondary, but um, we'll, I'll let you yeah. comment on that as they, they face the Chiefs uh, on Monday night. Who do you like in that game and why? Well, I like Kansas City. I mean, they're at home, and if you give me Kansas City um, with a low point spread and, and Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes, you just don't bet against certain people. I had never, ever, ever in my life bet against Tom Brady. Would bet against Tom Brady, not that I bet back then or now, <laughs> but I would never bet against great quarterbacks at home or, or ever. So I just think Patrick Mahomes is one of the best players to ever play the game at that position. And so, yeah, I'd take it Kansas City all day. Uh, do you agree with – I mean, you said you think Philly's a really good defensive team. I don't think they're nearly as good defensively this year as they were last year for whatever reason, but I think it's – Yeah, they, they've had trouble in the back end. They lost a couple key players to their secondary, and they've shuffled around the secondary so much yep. that they're um, a little bit out of whack. But once they get those guys back and, um, you know, they still have Darius Slay and they still have some good players back there, but once they get more – uh, intact back there, I think they'll be fine. But because they're pass rush, you know, they have Fletcher Cox and obviously the draft picks from uh, Georgia. A couple of those guys, those big guys in the middle, and and uh, the pass rusher, uh, what's his name from Temple? My guy, uh, yeah, yeah uh, Reddick. Reddick, Hassan Reddick, yeah, yeah. So yeah, I think as long as you got a good front four, I think the secondary, once they start playing together, getting those guys back healthy, I think they'll be fine. Did you like Reddick coming out? Is that why I you said that? I love Reddick coming out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. The big argument was he's too little. There's never been a guy that small that played defensive end and blah blah blah. And Arizona actually drafted him and tried right. to move him into a bubble linebacker, like which was insane. I was like, what are they doing? This guy was a pass rusher. <laughs> so yeah, so Philadelphia got him and actually went to uh, I think went to Carolina after Arizona. Maybe. Uh, yeah, I, I, remember. I think anyway, that's right. Yeah, I think um, it was Matt Rule because Matt Rule had him at Temple. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Um, are you a believer in Dallas? 
I am. Yes, I've been a believer in Dallas. I've you said have that they're been. one of the top. Yeah, 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 for sure. Dak Dak is a hell of a quarterback. I don't, all these people that say Dak Prescott's trash are just insane, insane. This guy's a heck of a quarterback. He's athletic. He can move. But they got good receivers, three or four of them. And um, our offensive line is not bad, and their defense is is solid. They have, absolutely have a game breaker on defense, a closer, pass rusher, and Micah. So yeah, I think Dallas is for real. What's wrong with Buffalo, real quickly? Well, they lost two Pro Bowl players on defense, defense yeah. which kills them. Milano and obviously Tredavious White are two great game-changing type players. Those guys are gone. Their defense has gone through a lot. And then, you know, they just turn the ball over too much. I mean, Josh Allen throws the ball right to Gabe Davis's face. Perfect throw, and it bounces off his head and goes for an interception, and Josh Allen gets hammered for it. But they're turning the ball over at critical times, and they're not making the plays you need to make. I mean, they still had a chance to win the game. If they just have 11 guys on the field, they win, and they're 6-4 and four instead of 5-5. Five and five. All right, Washington, New York prediction. Uh, Washington has to win the game by. I, I just can't imagine Devito coming in here keeping it close. But it is a rivalry game, and and for whatever reason, the Giants, Redskins games are usually pretty close and pretty competitive. I err on the side. I, I would take Washington just because Sam is playing at a high level and Devito's playing at a very low level. So I would take Washington. Uh, big by the number, it's nine right now in most spots. Nine, nine. Yeah, I definitely take Washington. Actually, that's that's. Oh, you know, I don't want to say that's my pick of the week yet, but I, well, I that's fine. Definitely would lay the nine. That was the last question. So Washington minus. I'm going to give you minus nine because I see some. I see some nines out there. I see a lot of nine and a halves. Nines. I actually see an eight and a half right now. Wow. Um, so you got Washington minus nine as your lock of the week. I think that you had in the first game against the Giants, I believe that you had Washington as your lock of the week in that yeah. one too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> which was a shocking game. <clears throat> which is shocking. They couldn't pick up a blitz. So they better be able to figure out these blitzes that Wink Martindale runs. I mean, because he's going to probably pull some of these from the first game plan that he had a lot of success with. They're going to get a lot of movement up front. They're going to get safeties off the edge. They're going to get nickel blitzes. They're going to get a lot of blitzes. So if if Washington can hit them early and make them pay for some of these blitzes, then it's going to be a blowout. But if not, if Wink Markendale gets away with some of these things, then, then he'll keep doing them and, and sack Ryan or sack Howell ten times again. Then it'll be close, but I don't think that's going to happen this week. I think Washington will figure it out and, and go after these corners and have a great day. All right. Uh, enjoy the football. Happy Thanksgiving to you, and I'll talk to you next Friday after Washington plays Dallas. All right. Sounds good. Thanks. Jay Gruden, everybody with me every Friday during football season. We'll finish up the show with the smell test next. Smell test brought to you by MyBookie. Go to MyBookie.ag or MyBookie.com. Use my promo code KevinDC and you'll get a cash bonus on your initial deposit. If you've been using those places that charge you too much, meaning you lose your bet, it's a straight bet and you're getting charged, you know, minus 120 or minus 125. In some cases, some of you have reached out to me to say it's minus 130 or worse. Get away from those places, all right? They're just trying to make up on their very high customer acquisition costs by charging newer players that are unsuspecting very high rates 
on losses. Uh, you're not going to get treated that way at my bookie. My bookie is going to charge you the traditional old school minus 110 on a straight bet loss. There are some instances in where you're, where you're going to pay less than minus 110. And maybe, depending on a key number, you might pay minus 115 on a few. Uh, my bookie's fair across the board. Uh, you should use my bookie if you're at one of those places where you're getting charged way too much. Use my promo code KevinDC, uh, and they will give you a cash bonus on your initial deposit. The free money is worth it, but the fairness of the pricing and everything else at my bookie uh, is even more important over the long haul. Uh, Washington's minus nine at my bookie over the Giants. The total's 37, second lowest total on the NFL board uh, this weekend. Uh, 37 uh, is the total. Odd because Washington's been scoring and the Giants have been giving up a lot of points. The Giants gave up 49 to Dallas, 30 to the Raiders in the last two games, and Washington has been playing pretty well offensively. So that's a low total. Not the lowest of of the week in the NFL. Pittsburgh Cleveland on Sunday 33 for the total at my bookie. Wow, that is low. Uh you see that at the end of seasons sometimes. You know, you'll see 35s, 34s sometimes in a meaningless matchup in week 16, 17, 18 in bad weather. But you've got Cleveland and Pittsburgh two 6 and 3 teams. I know Cleveland's got a new quarterback. Um but uh, that's really low. Not Iowa low. Iowa at 31.5 in their game this week with Illinois. Not as low as they were last week at 27.5 in the over-under number uh, in their 22 to nothing win over Rutgers. All right, let's get to the picks uh, this week. Last week, 7-4. and four, Now 55-55-4 on the season. 500 is not good enough. You can't win money going 500. you got to go... 52.5% basically or better uh, to win money, so let's try to get there. Let's start tomorrow. Uh, Memphis and SMU play in a rather large game in the American Athletic Conference tomorrow. SMU and Memphis can really score. I mean, SMU's been putting up massive numbers here recently. Their last four games, they've scored 45, 36, 69, and 55. By the way, the 69 points, second time this year they've scored 69 points. Memphis, meantime, in their last four games, 44, 59, 45, and 45. Uh, the total is actually kind of low considering at 64.5. I actually like the under. That's not the smell test pick, but that is a strong lean, 64.5 under in that game uh, because all of the action is on the over. But I like SMU laying 8.5. I mean, Memphis was only a four-point dog to Tulane. They were only a 6.5-point dog against Missouri earlier in the season, and they're getting eight and a half. Uh, the public loves the underdog. They love the Memphis Tigers. I'll take SMU and lay the eight and a half. Uh, next up is a game that it's one of those lines that really doesn't make sense. Louisville's nine and one. They're playing Miami at six and four on the road, but Louisville, the number 10 team in the country, is just a one and a half point favorite over unranked Miami. I like Miami plus the one and a half. All of the public action is on Louisville. There's sharp money on Miami. Miami's not an impressive offensive team, that is for sure. Louisville's very impressive defensively. It's going to be hard, actually, in analyzing this game to see Miami scoring. Um, without turnovers, 
Uh, but this line is way too short. They're begging you to take Louisville, so I'll take the Canes plus the one and a half. Keep in mind, Louisville's got a shot not only for an ACC championship, but if they were to beat Florida State, run the table, and have one loss, they'd be in the mix for a playoff spot. Uh, I had Michigan State a few weeks ago at Nebraska, or at home against Nebraska, excuse me, getting a short number, and they won outright. Uh, This week they're getting a short number on the road against Indiana, who's been playing fairly well. Um, It's that number right now is down to three and a half. I'll take Sparty plus three and a half at Indiana. Clemson's favored by seven. There are some seven and a halves out there as well against Carolina. Carolina all of a sudden has gotten back to being a, a, just an atrocious defensive team. Clemson's pretty good defensively. I had him a couple of weeks ago as a short dog at home against Notre Dame, and they won that game outright. Public likes a dog here. Man, I'm giving out some favorites here with SMU and Clemson. Uh, but I'll take Clemson and lay the seven. Illinois, Iowa. Uh, mentioning that game, uh, I don't like the side uh, on on the. I don't like the total uh, either way. But Illinois catching three at Iowa. I like the Fighting Illini uh, plus the three. The public actions on Iowa laying the three. They don't think anybody can score points against Iowa. Uh, Illinois played better since beating Maryland as a double digit underdog in College Park. That was the loss that Maryland took after the Ohio State game. You know, it's interesting to think about Maryland. If they had beaten Illinois and Northwestern, if they had beaten, uh, those were close losses, games that they were double-digit favorites in. Um, And their only two losses of the year were to Penn State and Ohio State. They'd be in the college football playoff rankings, you know, somewhere around 20. They've never been in the rankings. Whatever. Um... If candy and nuts were – no, if it's, ifs and buts were candies and nuts. That's the saying. If ifs and buts were candies and nuts. Oh, what a party we would have. Uh, Illinois plus three. Uh, Oregon State's laying points against undefeated Washington. Do I need to say more if you understand how the smell test works? Oregon State laying the point and a half. Let's go to Sunday. Uh, everybody's talking up Houston and C.J. Stroud. Uh, and they're laying less than a touchdown against the Cardinals with Kyler Murray. Give me the Cardinals plus the five and a half at Houston. Uh, people are talking about Dallas. Impressive last week. Impressive in the loss against Philadelphia. They're laying ten and a half in Charlotte against the Panthers. I'll take the Panthers plus ten and a half. Um, unfortunately, I'm giving the Giants plus nine out. Uh, I've been pretty good on Washington games. Um, this year with the smell test. Arizona week one was a winner plus seven at FedEx. I had the Giants plus three in their first matchup, winner. And I had Washington last week plus seven at Seattle, winner. I'm 3-0 and on Washington games uh, with the smell test. I think overall over the years I'm in the mid-60s in games involving Washington. Uh, the Giants are a major anti-public play. I mean, Tommy DeVito's getting you know, shit on by everybody. Um, I gave him some props in the open to this show. 
uh, for arm strength and some mobility. Maybe in his second, you know, full start, he plays better. The Giants seem to have Washington's number here recently. Wink Martindale completely out-schemed Washington. Look, the bottom line is I don't even care about any of that. Washington's laying nine, and the whole world thinks Washington's going to win big like Dallas did last week against the Giants. So I'll take the Giants plus the nine in the smell test against Washington. Uh, And then uh, Tampa's on the road. The 49ers, recent impressions, right? They blew out Jacksonville 34-3. Everything looked fine with Debo back, with Trent back, with Chase Young a part of the team. Nobody is betting on Tampa Bay except for you and yours truly. I'll take Tampa Bay plus the 11 and a half. All right, recapping the smell test for this week. Uh, We start tomorrow with SMU minus 8.5, Miami plus 1.5, Michigan State plus 3.5, Clemson minus 7, Illinois plus 3, and Oregon State minus 1.5. Sunday, the Cardinals plus 5.5, the Panthers plus 10.5, the Giants plus 9, and the the Buccaneers plus 11.5 points. All right, that is it. Good luck on that. Good luck. This weekend, back next weekend for shows on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. And then, yes, there will be a show, of course, on Friday, recapping the Thanksgiving Day game against the Cowboys. Talk on Monday.